Welcome on in into another edition of Keeping It 94. What's up, guys? Spencer Davies back once again is Brian Fritz. We've missed you, my friend. I know that Jared Rudolph did a great job for us last week. If you hadn't had the chance, go listen to his Dwight Howard stories. We also touched on G League and two-way guys getting opportunities in wake of the coronavirus. It was definitely a good time, and we had a blast. But, buddy, glad to have you back. Hope you're doing well. And let's get going on this. Things have been good, you know, and um, I mean, the main reason I came back is because I knew someone had to be here in your moment of need following an emotional Cleveland Browns loss. Because, I mean, it's not like there's ever been a play where a ball has been fumbled on the one yard line in Browns history that has cost you a playoff game. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that painful? Was that bad? Was that over the line? No, it wasn't over the line because I thought it was because over the line. because listen, if this if this was only one week and it uh, you know say it was the first game of the postseason that my Browns have seen in over twenty years, and we had lost that one, yes, it would sting a little bit more. And yesterday sucked. We're recording this on a uh, a Monday night. Yesterday sucked, but. I also saw the direction of the team, knowing that everything's going to be okay. I'm very, I take a lot of solace in that, okay? That, that's where I'm at with that. But I'm happy with my brownies, and we'll leave it at that. Who's more passionate right now about wanting to change the rule in the NFL where a ball that is fumbled through the end zone and goes out of bounds is a touchback for the other team. Is it you or Rich Eisen? Because I know that Rich is very adamant about what a dumb rule he thinks that is and how badly it needs to change. It's a dumb rule, but at the same time, it's a rule. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, but It's a rule, and, and your boy Higgins fumbled the ball out of bounds following an illegal hit after it looked like he was going to score making a dive and the ball goes out of bounds at the one and then goes to the end zone and just trickles out of bounds on the side. That's (sighs) that's like the most painful thing because it happened so fast, but in the same time, it felt like it was in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to relive this. I want you having PTSD or anything. You're you're, you're rubbing it a little bit, Brian. I just want to make sure everybody understands the play in case they didn't see it. That's fair. You know, okay. We, you know, this, this is not a visual, you know, platform we're on right here. This is audio. So I have to detail it for everybody. The best part about this is that we are an NBA podcast and we are just going on and on about the NFL here. So we just did that for Chad. That's all we what? did. <laughs> Moving on past my heartbreak. By the way, uh, before we do actually get started, I'd like to tell you that We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Make sure to leave us a comment, subscribe, rate us, because we're trying to boost this thing up. We're trying to really take this to the next level. So do that. Do that first. We'll give you some time here. All right. Now let's get into it. All right. So uh, you missed a little bit of things that happened here, Brian, uh, as we all know. James Harden is now a Brooklyn net. 
And this is old news by, by now, so uh, we're not going to you know, stick onto it too much. But he did make his debut uh, this past Saturday against the Orlando Magic, a very shorthanded Orlando Magic team, by the way. What did you think about that debut? Did you have a chance to, to see you know, the dynamics? I mean, Harden goes out and puts a 30-12-12, whatever it was, um, and seemed to integrate with the team fairly seamlessly. And the thing is, I think that is the best version of what we were going to see. Now, mind you, Kyrie Irving isn't there yet, so we still have to see how he is going to be uh, involved in this as well. But just seeing Harden and Durant initially, you could see the magic there if things are clicking. I will say this, though, because, we, like I said, we're missing the Kyrie element all of this, and that's going to be interesting to see how that works with three guys that, all need the ball in their hands, but we're in the honeymoon phase of this and everybody's on their best behavior. James Harden. It looked like 10 days ago that James Harden was a guy that was loafing it on the court that given up with the Rockets. He looked fat out of shape, bloated. And the next thing you know, you put him in a Brooklyn nets Jersey and suddenly he's smiling. He's engaged. He looks in shape. Maybe he hasn't had a carb in a week. And he's out there going, I'm with my new team. This is where I wanted to go in the first place. And my boys got it done. They got me here. So he's going to be on his best behavior for a while. And, and I want to see how this all works. I think everybody is curious to see once the Nets have everybody on the team, how does this work and can it be sustained? I just fairly enjoyed what I saw on social media. There was someone that put on, I don't know if you've seen the nutty professor with Eddie Murphy, but there's Sherman Clump and then there's Buddy Love and they put Harden's picture with the Rockets and then they put Harden's picture with the Nets. And someone's like, how does that happen in the span of a week? How like is that, that possible? Was Harden, wearing, down. was Harden wearing a suit? Was he going Big Mama's house too? Was, was he doing something Martin Lawrence did? Like, there, were, there were some people that were trying to like break it down going, well, you know, if you actually cut out carbs and you do this over a 72 hour period, you could actually, and they're like breaking down the metabolics of it and everything. I'm like, oh, because in that on. case, in that case, you gotta, you gotta give it to the guy. He did everything in his power to get out of where he wanted to get out of. If that's the case. I would have lost 10 pounds in three days. I don't know how many times over the last five years. And I never looked that good after cutting out carbs for even after cutting them out for a month. Have I struck a nerve? How's it feel? Yes. Like, how does that happen? I have no idea. But, but in all seriousness, I did, I did not like the way that Harden handled the situation. And, and I don't want to stick on Harden for too long because, again, it's it's kind of old hat at this point. But to, to flat out go on public record and essentially say we're not good enough, that's it, sorry, and to quit on your team with all those cameras in front of you, I, I think it's weak. I really do. And, you know, I'm happy that he's happy somewhere else. That's fine. But there's better ways to handle it. And it, if you didn't hear the comments that DeMarcus Cousins had, Cousins had made 
and the ones that that John Wall has made. I know uh, my good buddy Kelly Eco on the Athletic has the whole situation on how it got so bad so quickly. Um, there are just a lot of details in there that just rubbed me the wrong way. And yes, Brooklyn's going to want a talent of that caliber. And today, Torian Prince and Jared Allen, uh, who arrived to Cleveland, they even said, "Yeah, I would have done the trade." Uh, when asked about it. But at the same time, there's just something that doesn't sit right with me with, you know, and it happens so often. And I was arguing with someone on Twitter about it last week because I said, has this ever been, has something like this ever been said in public? Now there's a difference between a trade request and flat out calling it quits, folding their cards. There's a difference. If, if you're trying to get out of Houston, then, you know, hold out or something, but don't go out there and say, you're going to, you know, give it your all with the team and pout, throw passes out of bounds, go 50%, whatever it was. It's just not right. You've got to be professional about it. And he was not professional about the way that he went out. And, and there's, like you said, there's been plenty of people that have requested a trade before. And I get that, but you still have to go out there. And you, you, you owe it to the team that you're with to give a damn and try on the court. And if you feel that adamant that you can't do it, then be up front and tell them I'm not going to play. Do it like Anthony Davis did. Anthony do Davis. Almost, don't do it almost. I guess this isn't a good example, but Jimmy Butler. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing, though. I mean, with, with Anthony Davis, and I know a lot of people will say, well, AD did the same thing. He requested a trade and he ended up only going, wanting to go to one particular team and he ended up going there. Yes, he did. But there's a couple of differences. Davis did stay on the court. He did play hard. Plus in the previous seven or eight years that he was with his team and he was with them for a while, like Harden was with the Rockets. He never once went to the team and demanded trade for this guy. Oh, wait, you know what? I know you gave up some first round picks to that guy. No, 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 no. Get rid of him. Get this guy. That happened multiple times with Harden. Go get me Dwight Howard. Nope, that didn't work out. Go get me Chris Paul. Nah, I don't like that one. Go get me Russell Westbrook. And they gave up so much capital, so many assets along the way. They catered everything to him. And then he still said he wanted to go. Okay, the time has come. You know, that that was kind of crappy along the way that that had already happened. But then to spend the last couple of days with the team where the last two games were with the Lakers and I get it. The Lakers were really turning it on and playing great ball, but you could tell that James Harden did not want to be on the court in either of those games. He didn't want to be out there and the Lakers turned it up. I think LeBron almost took a little pleasure in saying, Oh, James Harden thinks he's one of the best players in the league. Watch this. I'm going to I'm going to show this dude up. And he did. I've said my heart, my 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 piece on on the Harden stuff. Uh they are going to be one hell of an offense. Don't get me wrong. That's um, the whole thing. We move that, on from it and the Nets are going to be a very very good team and a formidable team to deal with, you know, this season and going forward. It just once you get the Irving part into all of this, once Kyrie joins that team, how do all the parts work? And that's going to be the big question. And it's not even just how they work on the court. I think it, it, there's 
there's a mental aspect to all of this too, especially when it comes to Kyrie and where his head is going to be at when it comes to playing basketball, because he hasn't been playing lately. We've seen all the different issues with him, with hanging out at a, at a party they shouldn't have been in. There's been a lot of talk that his head hasn't been in the game because of all the things going on in the world and how involved he wants to be and all these different social issues. So we'll see what happens with Kyrie when he gets back with the team. Tell you what, Brian, the first game that he could play with that big three of him and Harden and Durant could be in Cleveland this week, Wednesday night, Friday night, two games set with the Cavs. So they're, they're going to be in my part of town. So we'll see. There's a couple positive. Uh, I, I understand the way that Kyrie left that team, but uh, at least he left with a good memory. Yeah. He did something pretty good for that team before he went out the door. He did. He did. All right. I wanted to get to something, actually, that I haven't been able to, to really talk about uh, with you at this point, I'm pretty sure. Um, the Atlanta Hawks is an interesting case study to me right now. Uh, Trey Young is playing very what overly aggressive. Is that a word? Is that a good word? Um, yeah, I think that's appropriate because the turnovers have truly, truly hurt that squad. Um, they just took on the Timberwolves today. I believe that they won. Uh, yes, they won 108 yeah. to 97. Yeah, and uh, it was somewhat of a – it wasn't lopsided, but towards the end, I think uh, Minnesota made a run. But with Trey, this is – you know, I hate people piling onto him. I do, because uh, I think he is a dynamic star. I think he brings so much joy and so much um, I've got to watch this guy element um, because of how gifted he is as an offensive player. I think that he's kind of feeling the pressure a little bit right now, um, especially, you know, injuries are piling up in Atlanta. You've got Gallo down. You've got Bogey down. You've got, you know, John Collins, who, you know, called a film, a film session out and basically had a disagreement with him for how, you know, the, the offense was being run. Uh, Trey, we know he's going to break out of this. Um, but the, the shot selection has not been good. Um, he needs to do a better job of securing the basketball, not making hasty decisions. And then defensively, I don't really know how you can cover for him other than guys like DeAndre Hunter helping and, and stepping up, you know, if he gets beat. Clint Capella, as we've seen, has been playing pretty solid uh, over the last stretch of games. He's got help uh, on that end, but, but offensively, the, the, the problem is when he's turning the ball over, other teams are taking advantage of it in transition. So for a team that's already kind of hurting on the defensive end to add that element into it, ain't going to result in too many wins. And that's why the Hawks are six and seven right now. When people had them pegged as a sure for sure playoff team before the season started. So what are your thoughts on, you know, what's going on with the Hawks uh, and, and some of these decisions that have been made? Well, I think anytime that you have a, a player like Trey young who can be, as dynamic as he is, but he can also be somebody that could be tough to play with because he is so ball dominant. 
He is a guy that's going to take a fair amount of shots. Some of them are going to be very bad shots. I mean, anytime a guy's in a groove and you're making shots, you're not going to get upset with them. But the second that you start taking bad shots all the time and you're missing those shots, that's when you're going to get really frustrated. And you look at Trey right now, he's you know shooting under 39% on the season. He's under, he's shooting 26.5% from three-point range. He's got over, you know, four turnovers a game. There's already been some locker room scuttlebutt coming out about how his teammates are not enjoying playing with him. And I know that they started off the season on the right note, but once you start losing, the problems compound themselves. You've had injuries, like you said, and that's never going to help the cause as well. And this is going to be a tough thing that they have to figure out because they've got a very young superstar in Trey Young, but he is a very flawed player as well. I mean, people like watching him play, but he has got to find a way to kind of trim the fat out of his game, I guess. He's got to get rid of those bad habits. He has got to find a way to keep playing dynamically and stay within his game, but do it in a way where it's better for his teammates as well. And I I don't think he has to make a massive change to his game, but he has to tighten things up. And once he does that, I think his teammates will come around to him a lot more, but there's a lot of work that's got to be done there. Not only, um, kind of bending the fences, I think, in the locker room to some extent, but he's got to first show it on the court. And the the, the notice, the, the thing that we, you know, can notice about Trey's offensive game is we obviously know he's a bomber from deep, and that's where he's having a lot of difficulty at the moment. But I don't know if you noticed, but since the Brooklyn game where Steve Nash said something about, you know, his free throw attempts, uh, he had 14 or more free throw attempts in the first four games of the season. Since then, he's only had two. And that, uh, and that is in a sample size of seven or eight games. So I don't know if it's the, the, the foul hunting that kind of has gotten him into this kind of slump uh, or if he's just not getting calls. But I think that's a significant you know, development because he hadn't gotten over 10 free throws in a game until uh, the game against Portland, and he shot 12 of them. Right, and in, in the game today that he played earlier on Monday, he got to the line 13 times. The weird thing is he only took eight shots in the game, but that's because he got to the free throw line. He had 13 assists, but he did have six turnovers. So that that's... Something's got to give. That is frustrating. <laughs> you know, let, let me put it this way, because I know that you are somebody to... Uh, to frequent the basketball court. You like to rock the rim on, you know, out there. Would you like to play with somebody like Trey Young? I would because I know how good his vision is and how he's able to fit passes through small crevices and whatnot. But when he doesn't have that feel, that's where it gets difficult. If you had to choose, if you were on the court, would you rather play with Trey Young or LaMelo Ball? Oh, man, that's – I mean, based on sheer size uh, and just – No, if you're just going down to the Y and you're going to play a pickup game of five on five, I'm, would I'm you rather have with, your team? I'm playing with LaMelo in that case. Yeah. Because – 
you know, he's taller. Um, I feel like uh, I haven't seen a, a pass of his that wasn't precise this year yet. I really haven't. Um, you know, he's going to rebound for you more. Um, I just think that there's guys that, that feel the Trey's same. He's obviously a better shooter. Right. But there, there's just other people that I think get really frustrated with somebody's game like this because, and some of this isn't all of Trey's fault, but there is a huge spotlight that is on him because he is supposed to be the star in Atlanta, a franchise that has been craving a superstar for a while. Now they've got somebody that's exciting, but there's a difference between being exciting and being a winner. And they want both. And this is supposed to be the year that we start turning things around and get off to a good start to the season for the first, you know, week, week and a half. And then they've had some trouble since then. And like I said, you start hearing some drama out of the locker room and that when, when things start leaking out of the locker room, that's a bad sign. That's a really, really bad sign in a variety of ways, because that stuff needs to stay behind closed doors. Yeah. And I know that, John's a well-meaning guy. John's a, a great dude. Um, John Collins, that is. Um, and, and he wouldn't want this stuff to be out there. But somebody ultimately, you know, cracked. <laughs> so, yes, hopefully, you know, that gets resolved because they really are a talented bunch and they have a good roster. Uh, they just need to get healthy and they just need to, you know, kind of just find it moving forward. And, you know, maybe Monday was a start against uh, Minnesota, but. Minnesota is a pretty bad defensive team themselves. Minnesota is so. that team that you play if you want to get back on track. It's just like, Off the Schneid. We, we, oh, we've been struggling here a little bit. Oh, here comes Minnesota, man. I think things are going to turn around here. That's true. That's true. I mean, I All don't right. mean to pick on those guys, but I mean, that's, that's just the way that it is right now with Minnesota. <laughs> that it really is. It really is. Um, and, and shout out to Carl Anthony Towns, by the way. Hope he's doing all right. It's just a devastating. Yeah devastating for him to test positive for COVID-19 with what he's been through in this past year. Um, so, you know, thoughts and prayers to him and his family, of course. Um, but, but I did want to, you know, finish off talking about the Eastern conference right now. I know we haven't really talked too much, you know, about the, the top teams, but I, I've just had, I'm so fascinated by the teams, one that are at full strength because of the the virus. So that, that I've been, I've been paying attention to teams that, you know, have their guys pretty much. I mean, other than Cleveland, I guess, because Cleveland's just been just devastated by injuries this year. But uh, the Knicks, uh, you were mentioning before we started recording, have won two in a row, is it? Two in, two a, row? in a row, including a 30-point thrashing of the Celtics over the weekend. Right, and I got to watch every single second of that one, actually. So, so thanks for bringing it up. Uh, they're 7-8 and eight now. Uh, and then that was after a, a rough stretch. I think they had lost four in a row or something, uh, rather like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, but man, I just, I don't want to say I have like high hopes for, you know, particularly this season, but I, I enjoy watching them play. <laughs> I do. And maybe it's just Tibbs's, you know, style about how he goes about things. Like it, he's more, you know, the half court type of guy. They're not really in transition type of deal. But then the you look at a player like team in the league, I believe. Right. And then you look at a dude like Emmanuel quickly, who is just a jackrabbit. Like, dude, he's so fast. He is so fast. And I, I just saw him yesterday against the Celtics who were also undermanned. They didn't have Jason Tatum, but they shouldn't have got killed the way they did. Uh, but, you know, quickly is so fast. He's so smart at making reads 
uh, just in multiple pick, uh, pick and roll situations. He really had a nice thing going with Obi Toppin uh, on Sunday and good to see Toppin out there, by the way, because he hasn't gotten much playing time and, you know, he's been sidelined by an injury as well, but I just, I, I like the young guys. I do. Uh, RJ Barrett. He's just, he's interesting to me because he's not all that fast, but he has strides. He's defensively, he's got the size to, to really get up in you. Um, but on the offensive end, I feel like there's so many different things you can do with him. And you know what? They they didn't call him the Maple Mamba for nothing in Canada. (laughs) Like he, he's able to shoot the ball. He's able to play, make, uh, Driving, he doesn't really have the burst to drive past his defenders per se, but if you give him a pick, he can, you know, be agile enough to get to the rim. I I, I already just mentioned his defense, but I mean, I saw against Cleveland, he had an opportunity to, you know, possibly put it away and got too cute with the ball and Andre Drummond stole it. But it's one of those things where that's kind of growing pains, but at the same time, if if you're learning from those mistakes and yet, you know, winning games because they're nearly a 500 team right now. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. And then you add on what Julius Randall is doing. We've already touched on that. I believe that was our first or second podcast that we just were overwhelmed with how good Julius Randall started the season. They've got, they've got some parts there. And I'm not even mentioning like Mitchell Robinson, somebody who pretty much gets every offensive rebound in the book and blocks the hell out of you. They've got some pieces there. Now, I'm just hoping, I am hoping that when Tibbs gets a guy like Taj Gibson, and, you know, he already has a veteran like Alfred Payton, who I respect very much. I think he's a good player. Uh, maybe doesn't have it as much consistency-wise, but all around is is a solid, solid player um, and a good starter. But I just, I have this feeling with Tibbs is that he's just going to, prioritize those vets over the younger talents as the season goes along. Now, if losses start to pile up and this isn't really real, what we're seeing, then maybe he'll give in, but Tibbs is just so known to give, you know, whoever he trusts is out there for 40 minutes. Like we already, we already mentioned that in the past again about who's leading the league and stuff in minutes per game. And it's Julius Frandl. With like a, almost what thirty eight minutes a game, Julius like, Randall is thirty seven minutes per game. Who is number two right now in the league in minutes per game? Yes. Oh, R.J. Barrett at thirty six point nine. Well, there you go. <laughs> case case dismissed, folks. Case dismissed. <laughs> See, this is why you bring in Tibbs, and I know that there was a lot of people that kind of rolled their eyes or wondered why the Knicks would bring in Tibbs, considering his track record, but. What he does is exactly what the Knicks are trying to do right now because the Knicks are trying to create an identity. They're trying to say, don't focus on who our ownership is. Don't, don't focus on the different the problems that we've had over the last you know, 10, 15 years where it seems like we're just star searching and you know, we're going to find something quick that's going to ail our problems. We're actually going to try to build something here. And what Tibbs does is... If you bring in guys, if you have a roster of guys that actually care about going on the court and playing together and playing hard, Tibbs will get that mentality out of you. He will make you buy into what he is doing. 
He rides his guys hard. He makes you practice hard, but he does that for a reason because he wants you to care. And he's got a roster of guys right now that care. They give a damn. They're not out there loafing. They're not out there, you know, just woe is me. We're the Knicks or anything. And, oh, who's the top guy on our team? We don't have any stars or whatever. You've got guys that have bought into this. And, you know, sure, they're not 500 right now, but, I mean, they're, they're seven and eight. They're playing well. They won two in a row. They, they've had a little bit of a slump. They've come back. And, I mean, they're playing good basketball. And I think there's still a lot better basketball in these guys. I mean. You've got a group of pros right now. You mentioned R.J. Baird. He's struggling shooting the ball. He's got limitations, but they're finding a way to play, you know, to um, the skills that he does have. I mean, Alfred Payton has played well. Austin Rivers is a professional. Say what you will, but he's a he's a pro. He knows what you need to do to get on the court and get things done. Alec Burks is still averaging almost 21 points a game. And then Julius Randle has been a revelation this year especially when it comes to his passing, he's still averaging six and a half assists per game. There you go. Put that, to, put that together, put Tibbs as the guy that's stirring the pot, and you've got a team that's out there that's playing hard, a team that New York fans can respect, and then you see where you go from here. And respect is about all they'll take. I mean, shoot, <laughs> you know you know what that organization's been for a long time. A long oh, time. Yeah, absolutely. So it, to, to, to actually see competitiveness is probably a nice change of pace for them. So much so. Absolutely. Just imagine if they were actually had fans there. So before I wanted to get into this next subject, I did have to want to, you know, shout out uh, Cleveland and Memphis who have been through the gauntlet with some injuries. Same with Orlando, man. Uh, They've just been gutted and it wasn't, it's not even the, the virus that's doing it to them. It's just a stroke of bad luck for both. Or, or all three, I should say. Uh, but they're all hanging around. Um, Cavs, I got to mention Andre Drummond, who just absolutely mauled, ironically, the Knicks, who are just talking so good about. <laughs> um, he had 33 points and 23 rebounds against them. But he's been That's such because, a- you know, he's threatened for his playing time now. I mean, there, there's three big guys on that team. He's like, I'm still the dominant force here in the middle. Yeah, no, that was a big-time game for him. Big-time <laughs> game, and... He's been a soldier this year. I can't say enough good about him. Uh, you know, Jared Allen coming in. Obviously, uh, the long-term guy. And Dre knows. I think the organization knows as well. that He's like JaVale McGee is not getting my minutes. Come on. Yeah, and, JaVale, and JaVale's been very professional about it, too. Gotta yes, say he has. That. That's um, what he does. The, the Grizzlies, though, uh, I did want to point out on basketballnews.com, an article I did last week, uh, Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain, while John Morant was out. By the way, John Morant's back now looks fresh, looks great. So happy to have John back on the court. He led the Grizz in a comeback victory against the Suns here on Monday. He did. He did. And uh, he was just uh, so good in that game. But onto, onto those rookies that I just mentioned, they are just flat-out winners, man. Like, eh, there's no other way to describe their style of play, especially in my eyes, uh, Xavier Tillman. This is somebody that you need to start watching, guys. If you hadn't already watched him at Michigan State under Tom Izzo, this is a guy that's really making a difference. Defensively, uh, so good at, at moving his feet and using his strength to body guys up. He'll get your rebounds. He's almost in that frame of like a 
you know, we always go back to this, but like a Draymond and ironically, again, this is Sparty. So, but uh, offensively, like he just gets guys moving. Like he's just setting screens. He said that he's been learning about screen angles and that's been big time for him. The fact that the organization's trusting him and giving him these minutes, um, especially because, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. still hasn't seen the floor once yet, nor has Justin Winslow. So they've needed somebody like him to step up. He's a second round pick picked in the thirties, but I've just been so enamored by Tillman's abilities and it's, it's not just the shooting. It's not just the defense. It's the whole package and the readiness. And I actually asked Taylor Jenks about that. And I wrote it in an article uh, on basketballnews.com along with Desmond Bain too, by the way, Desmond Bain, that kid didn't shoot. That kid can really shoot. Uh, And he is a bulky dude, bulky dude. I think the thing you could say about the Grizzlies is you want to talk about like trying to build a certain mentality with the team we just talked about with the they are toughness. But what Taylor Jenkins is doing with that team is he is instilling something with them. And yeah, they've been behind the eight ball because of the injuries this year. You just mentioned, you know, how banged up that they've been and they just got John Morant back. But I mean, they're 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 not an easy out on any given night. They are not. They play hard. They are scrappy. They are energetic. Um, like I said, they they just had a comeback victory against the Suns tonight. I mean, they they were down late in this game by four points with like three minutes to go, I believe, and they end up winning by four because I mean they they just play hard. And this is a team that I know that if you talk to some different experts like Brian Windhorst and some other people, they say. The Grizzlies are the team that you really have to look at as a sleeping giant that's about to explode in the NBA because they do have one star in John Moran, very young. When they get uh, Jackson back, they believe that, you know, we've seen kind of what he can do and we expect him to get that much better if he can just stay on the court. Um, They're going to have a lot of money to play with. They've got an owner with very, very deep pockets and is willing to spend money. He is going to go out there and spend money. And I think people are seeing what Taylor Jenkins is doing and it's becoming a very attractive place. And that's what they expect in Memphis is that this is going to be a place where people are going to want to go play and they're going to want to go play for that coach in particular. And that goes without mentioning too, is that people were like, who the heck is this guy when they hired Taylor Jenkins? Like the, the, the collective response to that hire was just so negative. Yet he's held up his end of the bargain. So absolutely. You know what? It's kind of like the Nick nurse hiring when he got hired by Toronto. I think if people really knew or been around him before they go like, okay, this makes sense. But for a lot of other people, they're like, who is Nick nurse? And all we've seen him do is win a championship with the Raptors. And, you know, and that's kind of what we get with Taylor Jenkins is kind of this guy that, I think people that have been around them saying, yeah, he deserves this opportunity. He's making the most of it now. But for most people, you're like, who is this guy? I've never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian, let's talk about two teams that really aren't talked about right now because there's a shiny new toy over in Brooklyn. How about the two best teams in the NBA by record? You talk about those teams out West in Los Angeles? I am. And also Milwaukee. I feel like I feel like no one talks about the Bucks anymore because Giannis got his extension. I've heard I've heard literally nothing on that front. Well, the funny thing is is that like 
the Bucks got off to kind of a mediocre start. They were five and four. They've won four in a row. As we are recording right now, they are they're on the court. They're playing uh, against the Nets. It's actually in the fourth quarter. It's a tight game. But Giannis is still putting up good numbers, as you would expect. I mean, he's Giannis. He's a two-time MVP. But it's kind of like ho-hum. There's the greatness of Giannis putting up over 26 points a game and 10 rebounds. His rebounds are actually down a little bit, and he's trying to get those back up. But it's kind of like, um, okay, show me something new. Like, okay, yeah, we've seen how great you've played before, but uh, show me something new. But now he has Drew Holiday. He does. Like, like I don't get it. I mean, I know Drew Holiday isn't the most, like, exciting personality, but – He's an all he's a, he's an all NBA or you know third team NBA or in my eyes like especially on the defensive end and I know he's not like explosive or you know a sexy name per se right but that's a hell of an addition as we were talking about you know this past summer but you have Giannis you have Chris Middleton you have Drew Holiday I think that Brooke Lopez is still a very fun player to watch especially if you like watching defense. Uh, and big men just firing threes up at, at a rapid rate. Dante DiVincenzo's taking a huge step this year as a starter, and that's very admirable of him considering he was supposed to be in Sacramento. Well, I think when it comes to this team, though, because we've seen how good they have been the last couple of seasons, I think people keep wondering, like, okay, when are you going to get over the hump? When are you going to do that next thing? When, this is regular when, season? Yeah, what like okay. okay, this is regular season, but when are you gonna get over the hump? When are you gonna do something special? And I think when you look at this team right now, and especially because they got off to a little bit of a slow start and now they're really getting into their groove, that people are kind of like really dissecting this team and going, Yeah, I know you went out, you wouldn't got Drew Holiday, but I'm looking at your team and like I don't like your depth. I don't like your bench. Who are the guys that you can really trust when it comes to crunch time minutes? That's the Uh, thing, man. I've got my eye on Bobby Portis, who is crushing it this year, reminding us how good of a player he is. And he was just wasting away with the seven other power forwards in New York last year. And you have Bryn Forbes just knocking down every three that he takes. Pat Connaughton, always an energy guy. I, I like their bench. Shoot. Thanasis is getting playing time this year. He's getting legitimate playing time this year. He's yes, playing 10 he minutes a game. Well, I think this is going to be the mentality that we that a lot of people are going to have for the Bucs. It's kind of like, okay, you've teased me before, and it's going to be this way through the regular season. And it's going to be this way for a lot of teams in the regular season because it is a weird regular season um, that we're going to be going through. And it's going to be, get me to the playoffs, and now show me what you got. It's going to... You know, it's going to be like he show me what you got. You know, that's what I want to see is when you get into the playoffs of this team. It's just kind of like ho hum. Get me there with the Bucks because we expect them to be there. There's other teams. I think people are more focused on the regular season because you want to see how good are they? Can they get in the playoffs? Are they improved? Um, okay, they're struggling, so we're going to pick on them a little bit. But with the Bucks, it's kind of like a given. Like you've got Giannis. You've got Drew Holiday now. Um, Chris Middleton is still there. Okay. We know you're going to be good. We know you're going to get to the regular, you know, just how good are you going to be in the regular season? And then it's all about what you do in the postseason. I feel like that's a perfect transition, though, because this is going to lead to a Clipper conversation. Yes. 
All right. Because a lot of people are fed up about what they do in the regular season. They want to see it happen in, in the playoffs. They want to see them actually step up. They don't, they don't want to see regular season playoff George. They want to see playoff Paul George. But I will tell you right now, regular season Paul George looks like an MVP candidate. He like, is. I mean, Paul George, even before the season, kind of said, my mind was messed up last year, especially in the bubble. He's going through a lot. And we all know about the chemistry issues with this team. And then all he's done is come out here and he is balled coach, out, man. He's Did you see that dunk team, last night? Yes. I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know how much it's going to fall back. And I expect this to fall back like everybody does. But he's shooting 51% from three-point range. And he's shooting 51% period. Yes. Both. It's crazy right now. I mean, he has, he has bailed them out of some games, but you look at that team right now and they've, they've had a few injuries as well, but I mean, they're 10 and four. I don't know if people are taking them for granted or what the deal is. They've won four in a row, but I mean, as, as down as people were on the Clippers following last season and all the issues that they went through, this is why I think both of us, when we talked in one of our first podcasts and said, you know, the Clippers are still going to be a really good team. And I, I think some people were almost just like, yeah, well, look at, uh, yeah, they, of course they got Kawhi and they got Paul George. But look they at who they lost about, in the offseason. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know the, that was the thing. But you know, you know what? They went out and got Serge Ibaka. And well, Serge Ibaka's playing his ass off. We could say what we will about Paul George. Nico Batum, too. And, and the postseason play that he had. And we can sit here and talk about some of the chemistry issues when it comes to Kawhi. And kind of the preferential treatment and how that was rubbing some people the wrong way. But the bottom line is you've still got two of the top 10, 12 players in the league. You got two of the best wing players in the NBA, two of the best two way players in the NBA. And unless there's massive, massive rifts in that locker room, or you've got just an immense amount of injuries, they're too good not to be playing well. And we're, we're seeing that right now. I mean, the 10 and four, like I said, they've won four in a row. There's, I mean, and I, and I don't think they've played anywhere near their best ball yet. Their That's high, the thing. Their Cause Paul George has been balling out yet. so much. So mm-hmm. I, I expect them to pick it up even more. Yeah. Pat Bev's the heart of the team. You know, the, I, I love this bench. Like I know Luke Kennard is taking over some of the, uh, you know, the, the responsibility with the bench unit. Uh, and he's been very efficient. He's not stepping out of his comfort zone, but he's also staying aggressive. Uh, Mook Morris, since he's come back from that injury, uh, he's played six games and he's shooting the lights. I shoot 50% from deep. And, and, you know, you add that on to somebody like Vita Zubats, who is more than capable of being a, a serviceable backup. He's actually capable of being a starter in this league, in my eyes. Like, the one thing that does have me a little bit perturbed, though, is that Lou Williams hasn't been playing much at all. And Lou, Lou's somebody who'd be getting 25 minutes a game. He's just about at 20 right now. And I wonder how that has to do with maybe Reggie Jackson being a part of the picture now. I, I don't know what Ty Lue's, you know, feeling with that. Maybe because Lou lost his partner in Trez that he doesn't bring as much, you know, offensive value. I don't know what it is. Um, but I'd like to see Lou get more playing time again, but at the same time, it's probably some of the, something like 
look at the size we have on the floor. <laughs> you know, it's kind of an odd, it's an odd man out type of deal. Well, I but think some of it's just like what them. they do on the defensive end of the court. And that's where Lewis had problems. Yeah. So, and you've got Ty Lue in there who's going to emphasize defense. And you know what? Decisions have to be made. And I mean, going into the season, I mean, I was one of the people that was surprised that Lou Williams was still on this team because I thought they've got to shake some stuff up. And they lost Trez, but I thought that Lou Williams might be a guy that got moved. And and we've said this before, too, that that's one of the positions that they probably need the most improvement at is that point guard. And instead, right, what they're doing right now, it's kind of a timeshare a little bit more between Lou and with Reggie Jackson. And that's something that they're just still kind of figuring out. But I, I expect there to be a move, you know, before the trade deadline. And, and I could easily see Lou Williams moving out and then finding another point guard there. Yeah. Someone like a George Hill would be a great fit. George Hill would be a great fit because, I mean, George is kind of uh, – He's a guy that's not going to cause any rifts. Let's just put it that way. He's just going to be kind of a calming influence. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone that needs a, you know, that is a veteran point guard would help. Definitely. Um, But I think that they're more than holding their own right now, but let's go across the hall uh, at Staples center and uh, talk about your Lakers. You can finally get on your Lakers. We haven't really talked about your Lakers too much on this podcast. Uh, But again, I feel like this is a team that's not being talked about very much. Yet, I feel like they're clearly the best team in the league at the moment. I know the schedule has been a little bit soft. Right. But at the same time, you play in who's in front of you. You're you're basically gaining chemistry and a a camaraderie as these games come along. I'm talking about guys like Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell and Marcus Saul and Wesley Matthews, these guys that weren't a part of last year's squad. That's important for them. Meanwhile, AD and LeBron, they're just they're just coasting. <laughs> they're just coasting. They are right they're now. Playing, they're, they're playing 32 minutes a night. Like, that's it. And That's and all you, they need to do right now. And that's, that's it. What a luxury it is for them because they go into the season as the favorites. And, you know, they, they definitely look like the favorites. And like you said, they're in some ways they are coasting, but in other ways, you know, they're, they're not from a standpoint of go back two weeks and, you know, they had a loss and Anthony Davis goes to the team and says, we are playing like crap on defense. And he was really ticked off. And I think it's one of those things where LeBron was thrilled that AD stepped up and did that and really picked on his Took team. that leadership role and, and, and it rubbed off on him. And it wasn't just like a thing, like we, as a team, like he started calling out names going, we are not doing this. We are not doing that. This guy's not doing this. And it wasn't to be mean. It was like, we need some accountability here. And I'm sick of this. I'm not, I'm not going to lose to a team, you know, like just because we are, we're not playing hard on defense. And all they've done since then is play extremely hard on defense. And mind you, I know two of those games were against the, um, uh, I don't know if I really want to be out here rockets, but I mean, they clown them, you know, two games in a row, Um, (laughs) you know, but I mean, you look at how hard they play when, when they are playing hard on defense and they start running, look out. I, the one thing I really don't worry about the Lakers is on offense. And the big thing there is, are they hitting open threes? Cause they're going to get plenty of them, but the way they really gauge the Lakers are how hard are they playing on defense? How active are they on that end of the court? And is that turning into them running? 
because when they are when they're playing with pace, they are extremely tough. And they're still playing with their lineups. I mean, even in the last game that they had, they went with a lineup that barely played earlier this season. They were playing with LeBron, AD, and with Trez, which they barely did. And they put Trez in the dunker spot. And I think he had maybe three straight dunks as the Lakers played with different ways to like penetrate, get in the lane and just have these little drop-offs to Trez. I mean, he must've had like five dunks in this game and the dude was going crazy. And, and it's so fun to watch him when he's just in that oh, energy, that energy and, mode, man. That's what that, literally drew me to Trez actually uh, with the, with the Clippers. And even before that in Houston, like he's just so fun to watch when he just gets into that zone and you can is. see it in his eyes. And the, he'll start that, barking. He does. I mean, he is a guy that does. And, and it's funny because, like, I think some people are wondering, like, wow, what a gift for the Lakers. They got Trez, you know, on that, that you know, one-year deal for $9 million. So they got him at a good price. But they're like, how does he fit, considering we, we saw some flaws with the Clippers? But the way he fits on this team, especially during the regular season, is when you think you're going to have those lulls because you are the favorites and you know it's all about – let's stay healthy and get to the playoffs and we'll do our thing. You add a guy like him who is a high energy guy that likes to talk. And when he's playing well and he gets going, it's hard not to bring your energy level up to that because that's what he does. He infects everybody else. And you see that. And and the other thing too, about the Lakers is what a luxury it is that here in the regular season, they can play around with so many different things, including getting Taylor Horton Tucker involved and you can see his progression this year because, you know, we saw what he did in the preseason and people were clamoring about him. Like, Oh, look out for this guy. Thought he did in the playoffs last year against Houston. Yes. And then he, you know? he got to a little bit of a rough start, but then he started focusing more on defense as well. And now his offense is coming around and he's a guy that's now getting, you know, about 16 minutes a game and they're tinkering with him a little bit. And, um, that's what they're going to continue to do. They're, they're going to tinker and continue to probably win a lot of games. I agree. Can, can we talk about KCP, man? KCP has been efficient. He's been amazing defensively. Like, he looks he just so knows, confident now. He knows his role. It's like, yep. it's like the pressure is all off these guys. That's, that's what it looks like to me. And I, I, I responded to a tweet by Kurt Heelan of uh, Basketball Talk. He's uh, at NBC. And you know, he's basically saying like the, the Lakers look like the, you know, the best team in the NBA. I was like, pressure's off, man. The pressure's off. They, they, they literally have nothing to worry about. They're just trying to establish the chemistry with one another. But most importantly, like he said, they're having fun. They're just having fun. And it, and sometimes that's all it takes. Well, that's the whole thing that Dennis Schroeder has said. Like, I've never had this much fun playing basketball. Look at this freewheeling offense that we have here and the different things that we do. And you've seen his defense turn up recently and he's forcing turnovers and he's getting out and he's running. I mean, he's in his dream situation too, from the standpoint that he always wanted to start. There was a lot of questions whether or not uh, Frank Vogel would put him in the starting lineup with his team. And he did. And he has remained as a starter and he is earning that starting spot. And um, the Lakers are probably going to lock him up to an extension here, um, you know, within the next probably month or two. Um, yeah. And and he wants to stay. So, I mean, this is a team that is a group of professionals. They are having a lot of fun. They are 
professional on the court. They handle their business behind the scenes as well. Um, you can see how serious that they take uh, the COVID testing and everything because this is a team you don't really hear too much when it comes to any kind of an issue. Now, mind you, there are some other teams that that, that do as well, and unfortunately, things happen um, because we're in the middle of a pandemic and uh, some things are uncontrollable, but they're very, very, very careful about this. They're very serious about it. And that comes, I think, from the top on down when it comes to LeBron to everybody else saying, we have an opportunity to do something special here, guys. We have an opportunity to win a championship. So let's have fun. Let's get wins and let's go win a title. And and, and also be safe, be extra careful. I know sometimes you're on the road and, you know, your, your buddy is in the city. Guess what? You're not visiting your buddy in the city. Okay. You're going to stay in your hotel room and he's not coming over, you know? So they've kind of got their heads on street right now and, um, and they're playing great ball. Yep. They are, man. And it's been really fun to watch them. Uh, Just to recap on some things here too. uh, Unfortunate in Portland to see Yusuf Nurkic go down with a wrist injury. Uh, Looks like he's going to be out for a significant amount of time. Uh, That's really going to, you know, mess with things over there. And then you also have CJ McCollum who ended up hurting his foot, the same one that he broke in the past. So you really hope that, that, you know, Portland's okay on the, on the injury front there uh, just in the, the long term. Um, we already mentioned that, um, you know, cat had, has uh, tested positive for COVID uh, Karis Levert, another scary situation, part of the, the 14 trade 14 trade um, reported by Shams Tarani of the athletic that, uh, there was a mass found on his kidney, a uh, small mass found on his kidney. So uh, he's undergoing further testing on that. And uh, I believe it was Kevin Pritchard that said that uh, it's likely that he'll have surgery on it, but just hoping that, you know, that situation's okay um, with him. Uh, just uh, really, really tough news. But at the same time, you know, if the trade doesn't happen, he doesn't get that MRI, you know, it's almost like fate um, in that situation. But, uh, anything else that you would like to uh, touch upon before we yes. get out of here? I have a big question because we're sure. now teams have played anywhere between 11 and 14 games. So we're starting to get, you know, a, uh, a decent chunk of the season We're we're starting to see what some of these teams are now, mind you, we've played what, uh, maybe 20% of the, uh, the season we're getting to that point. Whatever 14 divided by sure. 72 is or yeah, the other so, way around. Well, However, math works. We're getting close to 20%. I was I was I was doing my math in my head there, going, Am I saying this right? Um <laughs> but one of the teams that I had huge expectations for that I can't put my finger on right now, what's going on is the Miami Heat. Damn, the I was Heat, hoping you were gonna say the Kings. No, because I would have Heat, loved to talk about the Kings. Well, we can talk about the Kings here in a minute. Okay. Um, but I mean, the Heat are four and seven. They've lost three in a row. They're playing the Pistons right now, and they're leading late in that game. But I really thought that some people were going to sleep on the Heat. There was all this kind of talk about like, oh, they were manufactured in the bubble, and it was just kind of the the right atmosphere for that team, and that's why they got to the finals and everything. But I didn't believe that. I, I just thought there was a, a really tough, talented team that was going to be even better this year. I'm not saying they're going to have the best record in the East, but I thought they'd be in the top three or four, and there's plenty of season to go. But I am surprised that they have struggled this much. I mean, they're giving up, you know, 114 points a game. 
And um, like I said, they're four and seven. And I'm shocked at where the Heat are at this early in the season. Let's start here. They have a total of five players who have played over 10 games. So let's start there. That's that, that's that is a, a problem. huge problem. Huge problem. Right. So whether that's, you know, the, the COVID testing and contact tracing or it's injury, that's that's an issue because you got guys going in and out of the lineup. You have no chance. You've got no chance right now. I mean, I saw a game the other day where Eric Spolster was starting Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. So in that situation, I could totally understand it. But, you know, like it, it's just kind of out of your out of your hands there, it, it, you know, essentially. Uh, Keziak Pola uh, ended up getting a start, I believe, uh, tonight in Detroit, and it was yesterday as well. So, Precious Achua, same thing. So, you're throwing in, you know, these these rookies that, you know, have to figure it out from the jump. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, it's not. And, and, and at the same time, uh, you do have a, a superstar that in his six games has not yet knock down a three-point shot. Right. And then that's part of the problem too, because while Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, Butler played way. six games, yes. I mean, he's averaging under 16 points a game and he's really been struggling so far. So for whatever reason, I mean, I mean, a lot of it is because they haven't been able to develop a chemistry on the court because so many guys have missed games, but it just feels like coming off of last year and because of having Eric Spolstra and because this is another team that's like a group of professionals kind of that know their roles, know what they need to do on the court for the most part, except for, you know, the really young guys coming in there um, that you, I, I kind of thought, you know, you, you're going to have some tough moments early on, but you can grit your way through this a little bit more. There's, there's a certain mentality around this team. And I'm, I'm just a little bit surprised that they're four and seven. Now, there's a long way to go here in the season, and I would not be surprised if they turn things around once they could really start getting everybody on the court more together. But it just seems weird that the Miami Heat would get off to this um, this slow start the way that they have. Yeah, no, it's definitely weird. They're leaning a lot on Tyler Hero, uh, not just as you know the role that he played last year as you know big time scorer gets going and you know all that. They're relying on him as a playmaker. Nikias Duncan did an amazing breakdown of Tyler Hero as a, as a point guard for the Miami Heat and how you know this is good for him to get these reps because once the the, the real guys come back, then he's going to end up benefiting from it, benefiting from it. But he's not that guy, you know. Like Goran Dragic's that guy, and he's you know coming off the bench and, and doing his thing, but um. Th- they they're initiating their offense without a true floor general right now. Right. And, and I don't think they have a it's partly because yeah. Jimmy's only played six games and right. you know, Ken, Kendrick Nunn's been disappointing for them again. Uh, so, so they're searching for answers on that part. Um, you know, Bam Adebayo can almost only do so much Duncan Robinson hitting, you know, almost nine threes a game and at a, at a 43% clip that can only do so much. You got to, Especially, you know, they're almost having issues just just scoring. Like, and that's just not the Miami Heat we know. So it, it can be I, I'm not putting too much into it. Yeah, it could can be a little bit of a slug there. And I and I, I think the really big thing for them is they don't have a defensive identity yet. And that's what they've got to figure out. Once they get everybody on the court, they've got to get back to that defensive mentality that they should have. Do you think that Bam's a five, or do you think that 
they should look for a five. I think they should look for a five. I've got a perfect one. You know who I'm going to tell you. <laughs> JaVale McGee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or if they wanted to come up with a bigger, a bigger package, you could look at something like Andre Drummond. It could. Just uh, saying. Just saying. Well, the, I, I mean, not, not to get off on a tangent. Drummond would they, work too in, in Toronto. And Drummond, he's, his trade value is very high. It is because he's in the final year of his deal too. So, I mean, that, but I mean, he's got a big price tag that comes with it. But that's one of the things too that, like I said, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but I think the Cavs and the Knicks are kind of in the same boat and like, we're playing pretty good basketball, but everybody's going to kind of look at, okay, what parts are we going to sell later on that we can try to get assets to build for the future? And it's like, there's, there's going to be a point where you say, no, we want to keep this guy. We want to build something here because we're trying to build chemistry. And there's kind of this fine line of between those two things. There is, there is. I will tell you in the case of Cleveland though, they fully believe that Jared Allen is their future center and, and, and starting center. So, and so in the case of the Drummond thing, I I don't know if I expect a trade, but I just don't see a long-term future for him in Cleveland with Jared Allen being he, the guy. He is that primed as a trade asset that they a guy that they probably should look to move. And I and I think they can get something for him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, you know, if you pair pair up somebody else or a pick with him. I mean, I mean he's making almost 29 million. Yeah. That that's going to be the problem. So, I mean, if you, it's going to make it a little bit complicated, especially for a contender to get him. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's doable. It's just, it's going to be tough. Like, I mean, if, if the Cavs wanted to do a deal with the Heat, it would almost have to be something like, because um, I'm looking at the salaries right now. I mean, it almost has to be like an Iguodala, Kenny Olenek kind yeah. of a move, you know, something mm-hmm. like that to get the salaries to match. Right, and that's the difficult part. And that's why you have capologists. Yes. But, hey, we talked about the Heat. Now, can we get to the team I wanted to talk about Please, before we end Please, let's get to your Sacramento Kings. Who are you? What are you? I don't know. I've watched probably every, every single game of, of Kings basketball because I, I just adore Northwest Division basketball. I think I've told you this like a thousand times. I haven't said it on this podcast. But if you watch a North, Northwest Division basketball game between North, two Northwest Division teams, you will not come out disappointed one way or another. Never. It's either something crazy happens. It's either it's a triple overtime game, something stupid. Like, I mean, the Jazz and the Nuggets played yesterday, and it was a classic. But before that, it was Portland and Sacramento last week, which was awesome. Really fun game. But anyways, I'm always tuned into the Northwest Division. So that's why I want to ask this question about the Kings. Who the hell are you? What are you? Because there are times where you look all worldly, like you're a, easily a playoff team. And then there are times where you look like the Knicks of last year. And I have no idea what's going on because it, it all starts with the defensive end. I understand that. And Sacramento's come out. I think Harrison Bars came out and say they were playing soft, right? Um, well, you're giving up over 123 points a game. You are soft. Yeah. Yeah, but they have five wins. How do you have five wins when that's the amount of points given up? <laughs> like, because you're putting up 114 a game. Which is crazy. Well, like, literally. I've never seen it where someone could be that good of a scoring team and then that bad of a defensive team. Maybe we're going to see it Brooklyn. Who knows? But, like, it, I'm just so enamored by this squad. 
Like, I love watching De'Aaron Fox play. I think he plays with a great intensity. I saw him play defense individually last night and swiping the ball, you know, his nickname is Swiper. Um, big play that he made. Um, it, he's, he's really fun to watch. You know, he's, a, an, an, like I said, intense, almost like Energizer Bunny, uh, just a, a very uh, ferocious type of competitor that I love to watch. And then you have Buddy Heald who can shoot the, the, the hell out of the ball. We talk about Tyrese Halliburton in the past about how, you know, advanced he seems in his stage of development where he's like a five-year vet at this point, even though he's a rookie. Are that you was- totally befuddled though by Marvin Bagley? I am because he went out last night and balled out. <laughs> what the hell? Answer it. I don't know. I, I, I have zero clue. None. Rashawn Holmes, by the way, having a great year. Very happy for him. Bowling he Street, is. Bowling Green State University, which is in the MAC, part of my uh, Akron Zips um, rivalry, actually. So that's pretty cool. I but just think this, cool. the, the way this team is constructed is kind of weird. And I think they're really missing some defensive wings on this team right now because it feels like there's a lot of small and there's a lot of big and there's not a lot in between necessarily on this team. And, um, Halliburton's listed as a point guard and he's playing the three. Yes, I know. It's so there you go. Like it's 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 very, very weird when it comes to this team. But I mean, I mean they've got <laughs> on, on any given night, they could be on any given night, they could be one of the most exciting teams in the NBA, but they can also be one of the most frustrating teams because you don't know what the hell they're trying to do, like you said. Like, I, I swear to God, I've watched like every game and I'm trying to draw a conclusion about what they are. And I still don't know. I still don't know. And I I have hope for them. I really do. But then I just kick myself whenever they throw up a clunker and not know what the hell's going to happen next. And I don't think Sacramento does either. I don't think the, the fan base knows either. They're just all over the place. I I. How frustrating does it have to be to be a Sacramento Kings fan? It must be like being a Browns fan. Is that, is that a fair comparison? Well, you have hope as a Browns fan. I didn't before this year. Really? Or the year before that. Well, okay. Hope started when, when my team acquired Jarvis Landry, which was 2018. So the That's when hope January started? 2018. Yeah, Jarvis Landry? Absolutely. And don't even start. Juice... Juice is the heart and soul of the Cleveland Browns. We are going to leave it at that. You're not going to say another word. Continue with your point on Sacramento. No, I was just, it's like you said, I mean, they could be a lot of fun to watch, but if you are a fan, you have to be frustrated because you don't understand exactly the makeup of this team right now. They've got to make some moves. I'm just not sure who you move, who you move them for. I I think you've got to find a way to get some wings and you got to find a way to get some defense going and guys have just got to play harder on that end of the court. I mean, that's, that's a good part of defense is just playing hard and getting that mentality going. But like, you feel like the Kings can be almost anybody on any given night, but there's plenty of nights where you just know, like, yeah, that might be the case, but it, it's not going to happen. And you can just tell, you can just tell when it's going to be one of those nights. That's the most entertaining part. By the way, that's as we've been so taping, good. We missed not a classic, but a tight one. Kevin Durant hit a three to give the Nets a lead. And Chris Middleton missed a shot at the buzzer as the Ooh. Nets have beaten the Bucks, 125-123.
Oh, how about it? Thanks for making me miss that. You're welcome. Just kidding. Um, I did want to shout out. Uh, I, I know that <laughs> I prematurely ended that <laughs> earlier, but I did want to shout out uh, the Rockets, uh, J- Jay Sean Tate for playing his ass off uh, right now for that team. Uh, he is a Buckeye and um, he is just changing the game for Houston in a time of need uh, as a defender, as a capable, um, you know, offensive glue guy, uh, a playmaker and uh, just a hustler, just a hustler. So wanted to shout out Jay Sean Tate. I also wanted to shout out the San Antonio Spurs who look like they're figuring some stuff out. They do. They look like they're figuring some stuff out. DeJounte Murray playing at an extremely high level. I got a real good look at him last year when the Spurs came to Cleveland. I know I mentioned Cleveland all the time, but this is just how my life is. Um, he was just so locked in defensively, and this is what he does. And, and the pressure and the, the anticipation and the ability to deflect and to get steals – He's just, he's a, you know, you don't typically say the Spurs have exciting players, but he's an exciting player. And, you know, he's only three years into his career, four years in his career, whatever it is. Um, you know, the shooting is going to come along. I know he, you know, has issues in that area, but the way that his, his frame is uh, at his position, he's a tall, you know, lanky dude um, of, you know, athleticism out of the, out of the dang building. Uh, even after the the surgery that he had to have uh, post, I believe it was ACL or an Achilles, um, whatever it may have been. But, you know, the the young pups on that team, man, Keldon Johnston, same thing, uh, really breaking out this year uh, as far as Pops trust in him uh, to play the amount of minutes that he's given him. Uh, Lonnie Walker, same thing. Uh, and we've seen the, the huge strides and, and huge – um, sample sizes and, and glimpses of what he's capable of. And then plus we're, we're not even mentioning, you know, the vets, the vets do a great job, man. The, the, the vets do a great job. And I'm not just talking about DeMar DeRozan and, and LaMarcus Aldridge. I'm talking about Patty Mills. <laughs> this dude just seems not to go away. He does not seem to go away. Um, and, and any night he can drop 25 on you. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a magnificent, um, story man I, he's he's just sticking around and, and doing his thing and you know san antonio is just where he needs to to be the rest of his career i think how dare you not say that the masters of the mid-range demar Derozan, and lamarcus aldridge are not exciting players <laughs> listen they're, they're I not exciting players. They're, they're not and murray is but i mean hey I, w- I was somebody that wasn't high in the spurs going into this year because we know what we've gotten those guys but They've been able to string together some wins. They're playing good basketball. I mean, they're they're eight and six now. They've won a couple in a row, and um, you know they're they're finding that nice mix between the vets and the young guys, like you said. And uh, Pop has got them playing well. Agreed, man. All right, so I think we hit on like half of the league. We're going to bring you the other half next week. <laughs> but, Don't worry, everybody well, that's been waiting for the Bulls, Celtics, and Nuggets talk. That's next week. Oh, yeah. We got you. We got you covered. You know, we, we came into this. We wanted to talk hoops. That's what we did. So thank you guys for listening. Don't want to forget to remind you, we are a part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. So make sure you visit BasketballNews.com and listen to all of our great podcasts. I'll list them right now. 
Neat and Unfiltered with Kenyon Martin, The Postcast with James Posey, Dishes and Dimes with the Ladies, The Rematch with Eton Thomas, The Dunker Spot, brand new one. By the way, you know, basketball nerds that enjoy X and O talk, go to this podcast with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. You will not be disappointed. The Alex Kennedy Podcast, which, by the way, had Larry Nance Jr. and Nikola Vucevic in the last week exclusively, so make sure you listen to that. The Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan, and, of course, the follow-through with Clips and Drew. We are keeping it 94. Again, would like to ask you to subscribe, give us a rating, leave us a comment. We are on all of your networks like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen. Would advise you to definitely visit that and basketballnews.com. But until next time, signing off for me and Brian. We'll see you.